I love to be with you this morning. It's good to be together on this uh, Thanksgiving Sunday or the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Hard to believe that in just a few days it's going to be December. Uh, we finished up a series last week. Pastor Dustin did an awesome job finishing the marriage series. Uh, short two week. Now we're into a series, a four week series. We'll talk about in a moment. But as we kind of head, well, missing piece. It's right up there. Uh, we are we are in a season of different traditions. Um, I'm mindful that we all have different things that we kind of think of what Thanksgiving and Christmas is. I'm also mindful every time that I talk about Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. I'm all, always mindful this time of year, too, that there's those that are hurting, and this isn't a happy time. This isn't such a merry time for you, and our hearts are with you as well as you go through the loss of loved ones and brokenness and pain and hurt. But we're going to talk about that God has given us something better than that today. Uh, he's given a peace that He wants to give us. But as we think about traditions, we think about some of the things that we have. I, my family, just my side, just met for Thanksgiving. Uh, Christmas, we'll meet with Heather's side, and then next year we flip-flop, and that's just the way it's been for 26 years. We just kind of flip-flop those things. And Heather's traditions, um, not always right. They open gifts on uh, Christmas morning. They're supposed to do that on Christmas Eve, and so my, every other year we do it right, and then every other year we do it wrong. And so I don't know where you guys fall into those places, but uh, one of their traditions that um, they love and is part of their family is anyone put puzzles out like on a table and you, you spend the Christmas putting missing pieces in. I'm not going to embarrass you. You can put your, anybody do the puzzle? Yep. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to talk bad about you or how dumb that is. Um, it's just not real smart. I mean, it's not peaceful. Um, my, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Heather, I was laughing at someone that I just saw and they're going, hey, I just raised my hand. Thanks for calling me out. Uh, Heather's family loves to put this puzzle out. And they think it's relaxing, it's rewarding, it's peaceful, it's enjoyable. I don't know. I don't get it. There's something about all these years. I don't find anything peaceful about it. <laughs> I don't find any joy in it. All I find is missing pieces every year. And it's frustrating how many pieces there are. And somehow by the end, some years, there's uh, regardless of, of how many they filled in, there's a couple missing pieces. And that's sometimes how our life feels. Our life sometimes feels like missing pieces. And if we just had one or two pieces to fill in the puzzle, life would be okay. Life would have peace. Uh, we, we feel like we just had one or two pieces that fit into our lives, we'd have more peace. If we just had a little more money, then we'd have more peace. If the marriage was fixed, we would just have peace. If, if we had... Um, you know, you name whatever you want. If we had Mr. or Mrs. Wright come into our life, we'd have peace. You fill in the blank, whatever it is, there's those things that sometimes we think if we just have that missing piece. If the Broncos could just win, you know, five games this year, maybe to have a little bit more peace. Um, it, it, and maybe you just throw in, you know, health. If, if, if I just had good health, I, we'd have more peace. All these different things, they're not bad things to hope for. They're not bad things to desire. But there's something deeper behind all that that we all want. And it's peace. It's peace. God knows all about this. He knows this is something that we desire our innermost being. He knows this is uh, something that was, uh, you know, that he wanted to give us. In fact, when we think of this Christmas season, and we think when the angels came on the scene, the first thing they proclaimed is glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, right? Peace on earth. 
when we think of Jesus and the red letters in, in the Gospels, we see that when Jesus greeted or when he said goodbye, it was often it was, peace be with you, or, 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 my, or, or go in peace. And we see that the, even um, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of, of his epistles or at the end of his letters, either at the beginning or the end, oftentimes he had the words grace and peace. He wanted us to have grace. He wanted us to have peace. Now, Paul could have started and ended his letters with many other things. Jesus could have given different greetings than, than such an emphasis on peace. But we all want peace, peace in our hearts, peace of mind. But that doesn't always come the way that we think. No more money in the bank account doesn't equal peace in our hearts. Uh, being successful on the outside, we can still feel very empty on the inside. Uh, we can find that uh, person to marry, and we can still have a loneliness within us. We all want peace, but oftentimes we get the opposite of peace. Instead of peace, we get anxiety and fear, especially this season and this holiday. Sometimes it's not the season of peace, but there's more anxiety, there's more fear, there's, there's more depression, there's more brokenness that seems to be heightened during this season and time. We seek harmony in our relationships, but then sometimes in this season of life and when families get together at Thanksgiving, we find more strife and we find more uh, unforgiveness, hurt feelings, misunderstandings. The series that we're entering for these four weeks is called Missing Peace. Today's message is, is it possible? Is peace even possible? Because what we really want is peace. It's why Jesus came. It's the Christmas message. It's what the angels proclaimed. It's what Jesus left us with, with these words. One of his last words he said is, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is the gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. The greatest gift you and I can receive this Christmas is the peace of Christ, the peace that Jesus has come to give us. The greatest gift that we can find is not under the tree. You won't find it in another person. You won't find it in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance or a husband or a wife. You won't find it in a promotion. You won't find it in some other job. All those things are great, but it's not peace. Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, tells us what peace is. Isaiah said, you will keep in perfect peace. Now, for skeptics and for those that are a little bit like I, I look at that and I think, man, that's a far stretch. That's, pretty big, that's a pretty big calling, that there's a thing called perfect peace. Really? Perfect peace? Is that even possible? You will keep in perfect peace, Isaiah says, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, that sounds good, but honestly, it's hard, right? It's an easier said than done. It's something that I, I think about in a worship service like this when we come together, we watch online, and in a few moments that we're together and we're worshiping, we're singing some of these songs, we're declaring the goodness of God, declaring our future that He has for us. And in those moments, there's, there's times, I think we've all maybe experienced this, where we let go of our stuff and, and, and we give it to God. And, and we experience this peace 
in that moment and, and, and we worship and we let go of those things that maybe we came in the room with. But then we find ourselves Monday morning picking that thing back up and who am I really kidding? We actually, 30 seconds after the service is over, we've, we're picking it up on the way out the door. It's almost like there's fear, anxiety, pain, hurt, different things that we bring in as luggage over our shoulders, invisible, no one can see it. We walk in here with it and then we begin to worship God. We begin to praise Him. We set down that luggage. We set it aside for a few moments. We, we enter into His peace. But then it's almost like we walk out here and say, you know what? That's not for you, God. That's, that's for me. I need to pick this back up. I need to walk outside these doors. This is, this is my responsibility. I, I, I got this. You see, when we worship, we're declaring that God's got this. And, and there's a peace that God brings us. But then when we leave and we pick those things back up, we're in essence saying, I got this. And it's, it's human nature. We all do, those, we all do that. That's because when we worship, we're, our focus goes off of ourself and we focus on God. When we, when we come to church, our, our focus turns to God. It turns to Christ. It turns to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And we begin to look at who He is. And the more that we look at who He is, the more we fix our thoughts on Christ, the more we fix our thoughts on God, the more peace we experience. But then when we leave, often our worry turns back into anxiety. And Jesus knew this about us. Jesus knows this. Uh, He knows that we're creatures of habit. It's kind of who we are. I'm reminded every single Sunday when I see your beautiful faces that we are creatures of habit because of the season tickets that you all are sitting in. Pretty much, give or or take a seat or two, most of you. Now, some of you like to switch it up, but for most of us, we are creatures of habit. You're in, you know, I can look out some, after when I go back on Sunday afternoons, I can go, okay, you know what, they weren't here because they're usually in row number eight, seats one and two. They paid good money for those seats. Um, if you're new with us, that's just a joke. We don't pay money for our seats around here. I, 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 love, I love someone, and I won't call them out. I love this. One of my favorite things, you're here this morning, so I'm not here to embarrass you, but it's one of the favorite things that Heather and I, when we know someone's new to our church, we're going, man, we love it when God brings new life and new people to our church. And, and this person looked at my wife a few weeks ago and said, hey, these tables out here, um, are, are they, you know, can anyone sit in them or who are they for, or whatever? And, and Heather said, no, you have to pay extra money for those. <laughs> and Heather can do that with a straight face. And the person was like, oh, okay, I get it, you know. And she's like, no, I'm just joking. It's first come, first serve. Whoever gets here first can, you know, sit in the tables, drink their coffee, have it a little bit more relaxing, a little easier. That teaches us to get there early. Um, no, I'm just joking. But we, we know this. God knows this about us. Jesus knows this about us. He knows that we're creatures of habit, and we tend to go into uh, not this thinking. In fact, Jesus told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said to his disciples, I have told you these things. What, what has Jesus told them? Well, if you go the few paragraphs before and even the chapter before, you'll see that the things that Jesus was telling them was that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, he was going to leave them, and they were going to grieve him. Suffer, die, leave, and grieve. He was going to do that. He's, he's not telling them good news. 
He said, I've told you these things. What things? That I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave, and you're going to grieve. It's not going to be good. Circumstances aren't going to be in your favor. Things aren't going to look real good in that moment. But I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus wanted to to, to say to his disciples, hey guys, I want to set you up for success. I want to let you know this life is not going to be easy. And what's getting ready to happen right now, it's not going to be good. Uh, I, it's, circumstances aren't going to be good. In fact, you're going to be in fear for your life. Things are not going to be in your favor. I, I'm getting ready to leave you. I'm gonna, I am, you know, I am going to return, but I'm getting ready to leave you. You're going to grieve. They don't understand it all, but he's letting them know that it's not based on our circumstances. Peace is not based on when things get better. Peace is not based on when we get better news. Peace is not based on when we get out of that thing or out of that stuff or when we get the, when we get the right circumstances. Peace doesn't mean no trouble. It doesn't mean no problems. It doesn't mean the kids don't fight. It doesn't mean there's not conflict in our marriages. It doesn't mean that there's not things at work or school that, that are in disarray. Now, I love what Pastor Craig Groeschel says. He says this, peace isn't found in the absence of problems. True peace is found in the presence of God. Peace is not found in the absence of problems. It's found in God's presence. It's found in having God's perspective. What we were singing about today was God's perspective. We're singing about a day that there'll come a day where there'll be no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more death, no more brokenness. It even talks about living in that tension that even while we sing it with a little bit of some doubt of our fears and our anxieties, that we're believing, that we're trusting, that God is still in control, that God has got this, that God has this, that it helps us have a perspective. It's God's assurance. It's focusing on his assurance. His last words to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Those words have such meaning to me because of my grandma Price. And I remember when my grandpa battling a brain tumor for six months and his last few breaths on this earth, right a few minutes before he passed, my grandma saying to him, Lewis, Jesus is going to be with you and Jesus is going to be with me. And she shared this passage, lo, I'm with you always to the very end. It's a confidence in the middle of the storm. It's a confidence that he's with us. It's peace when my marriage is on the rocks. It's peace when my child is a prodigal and go in a different direction. It's peace when my body is breaking down. It's peace in the middle of the storm, not because you're out of the storm. And we think of Jesus and his disciples when Jesus came and when Jesus was in the boat with them, not the time when he came out on the water, but when he was already in the boat, there's a storm that's raging. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's taking a nap. And his disciples are going, we're going to die. This is going to overtake us. We're not going to make it. And sometimes there's this storm that we can see on the outside. Everyone can see it. You can see the physical storm. But there's a greater storm that's taking place sometimes. It's an inner storm. It's what's taking place inside here. And that's where the disciples were. I mean, they were, they were having this physical storm that they were seeing. But the greater storm, what was going inside of them. They were sitting there looking at that situation and going, Jesus, do you even see what, do you even care about us? 
Do you see what's going on with us? Do you even care that we could die? Jesus, where are you? Are you going to do something? You ever heard those words come out of your own mind and your own thoughts? We've thought them. We've all thought them before. Jesus, where are you? Do you not see what's going on? You could fix this. You could do something about this. You're powerful. You can do this. And God can do this. But it doesn't mean God always does. Paul wouldn't have been shipwrecked, beaten, thrown into prison. Falsely accused, misunderstood. If we didn't have these storms in our life. But the battle is often more on the inside than it is out, which the battle for peace begins in our minds. It begins up here between these ears. And I think for all of us, anyone, anyone here, unless I'm the only one, but I don't think I'm the only one. Anybody besides me here that struggles with this about six days of the week and sometimes on Sunday? We struggle with this thing going on between our ears, between our minds, these, these things that are this battle of our mind, this battle going on, this fight that we're engaged in. We're in a fight to fix our thoughts on right things, or what I like to call to get our mind off stinking thinking. And we are good at stinking thinking. We're, it's our natural go-to is stinking thinking. Notice Isaiah doesn't say, perfect peace for all whose minds are fixed on Fox News. Well, I didn't get anywhere. <laughs> Peace for all those whose minds are fixed on CNN. Equal opportunity offender here today. No, he didn't say perfect peace for all those who gets the right doctor's diagnosis. A fix, a perfect peace for all those who, who, who get on the right budget. Or perfect peace, it's those, these aren't bad things. Perfect peace for those who find Mr. or Mrs. Right. These are not bad things, but that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Isaiah said. Perfect peace for those whose minds are on Christ. The battle for peace begins in our mind. And we must understand that we are in a battle. That every day we are in a battle. And to not, to not engage in that battle or to uh, pretend that that battle isn't there or just ignore that battle, that battle's there whether we want to admit it or not. There's a battle going on in our minds. There's a battle that wants to steal, kill, and destroy to take our peace. Our natural thoughts go to fixing on what's going wrong, what could go wrong, unfulfilled relational expectations, so our job is to, to engage in this battle for the mind. Paul speaks of this. He speaks of a singular battle. And when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's just saying none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are there. None of us arrive. But one thing I do. Paul said, there's one thing that I do, and if we would do this one thing, if you and I would just do this one thing, it'd be 50% of the battle or more. We'd win in the battle in our mind. If we could do this one thing, if we would forget what is behind. Forget what is behind. Not, not rationalize, not dismiss it. There's things that we all need God's forgiveness, his mercy and grace. We need to repent of our sins, tell him we're sorry. Uh, but once we receive that grace, once we receive that mercy, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And we need to remember that what God has done on the cross for us is sufficient. And if he's willing to forget about it, which it says in, in Scripture that he throws our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. So if God chooses to have a, a selective, forgetful memory, we can choose to have a forgetful, selective memory of our past. For forgetting what is behind, if we would just do that, Forget what God has forgiven us for. Forget what others have done to us, not just things we've done to ourselves. But if we would forgive and forget, well, it's nearly impossible to forget some of the things people have done to us and the ways they've hurt us. But that's what makes forgiveness so powerful. But what is powerful is not dwelling on them, not looking in your rearview mirror and trying to drive forward because no one drives well going forward, looking in their rearview mirror. Paul says, forgetting what is behind, whether it's you or whether it's others, and straining towards what is ahead. Straining implying, this isn't easy. (laughs) This is not easy. In fact, our natural inclination is to have stinking thinking. It's to to think thoughts that aren't always good. Our our minds naturally go, if if it's left unchecked, our minds usually don't gravitate towards positive thinking. We think of the worst case and the, and the things that aren't going well. But if we'll strain towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize in which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. To forget what is behind, to strain towards Christ, to, put my, to fix my eyes and thoughts on him. And then he goes on to say in chapter 4, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And you may be thinking, he just said one more thing. Well, Paul's a preacher. And when a preacher says, in conclusion, what's that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so Paul's a preacher, and he's got, okay, I got, I got one more thing. But it's really the same thing he's just reemphasizing. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent. Is this our natural tendency? Do we wake up in the morning? Is your first thought thinking excellent things? Woo, let's go, big day. Is it thinking things that are true? No, often our thoughts go to the lies the enemy tells us, lies that we tell about ourselves, that we're not good enough, that we'll, we'll never be good enough, or lies that we think others are thinking about us, and they're not thinking about us at all because they got their own stuff to think about, but we place those negative things in our minds. Uh, we, think, we fill our minds with things that are not true, that are lies. And, and he's saying, fix your, eye, fix your thoughts on what is true, what God says about you, that you're a child of God, deeply loved by him. That if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Uh, that your sins are forgiven. That you're a loved, uh, that you're, ch- you're a child of his. Of honorable, right, and pure, lovely. Always thinking honorable and lovely thoughts. Our minds, without engaging in the battle, naturally go towards sinful thoughts. That's why we're called to engage in a battle to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Fix our things that are excellent and praiseworthy and true. Then he said, think about such excellent things. Keep putting into practice. Keep straining. Keep practicing. This is a practice. This is, 
No one has obtained this in this room. No one that's living on this earth has attained this. It is a practice. Until we're in heaven with Jesus, it is a practice. Here's the important thing. Keep practicing. Don't stop practicing. You know, you lose a few games, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. You just keep practicing. You keep, you keep getting better. You keep working to get better. You keep practicing. The same is true in life. We keep practicing. Don't stop practicing because here's the enemy's goal for your life is to get you to quit. If he can just get you to stop, if he can get you to quit, get you to quit on your marriage, get you to quit on your family, get you to quit in your, your work, get you to quit on yourself, he wants you to quit. But if you keep putting into practice all that Paul says you've learned from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, Paul's saying, hey, look at me. Not look at me like egotistical or narcissistic, but he's saying, hey, look at me. I've had some life experience here, and I've been putting these things into practice. Hey, hey, remember when I was shipwrecked? Remember I was the one telling everyone, hey, it's going to be okay. God's told me it's going to be okay. Remember when I was thrown into prison? Re remember my, what, what I practiced, what I did there? Yeah, Silas and I, we broke out in praise. We broke out in song. We began to worship. Remember when I was, when I was told inf that I would have an imminent death, that I was going to die? My words to you is for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul's saying, hey, you can look at me and, and you can put this into practice. And I would say this to each and one of us. Every one of us in this room has someone in our life who's been an example to us of someone who is practicing this. They're living this out. And if, without embarrassing anyone, I'm not going to call anybody's names. I did that in the first service. I said, don't do that again, Kent. But I can look around this room and see some of you, and I'm watching you live this out. I'm watching you practice this. Life isn't going real well for you right now. Circumstances aren't great for you right now. But I am watching your faith practice and live this out. Some of you don't realize what an inspiration you are when you live your lives in a way that you're practicing, thinking about what's good and that our God is good, focusing on faith and not fear. When, when you're, when you're trusting, all of us have people, and I bet you could look around this room and find someone. I guarantee you there's someone in your life probably is coming to your mind. You're thinking, that's that person for me. Man, my grandpa that I talked about earlier, died of brain tumor, six months, watched him battle that. I still have his words, his last words written in his Bible that our, our family, it's so special to us in the gospel of Mark, be not afraid, only believe. It's just a short verse, something that he lived out for us, to not be afraid, to only believe, to trust in God, even in the valley of the shadow of death, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, I will trust you. Now, I get it. It's easier said than done. But don't give up practicing. Keep practicing. Don't quit. Don't give up. Whatever's noble, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's excellent, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's the start of good thinking is when we fix our eyes on Jesus. 
And that's why, that's why worship is so powerful. That's why when we worship, there's something that our, our, our problems are still there, but our problems get smaller when we worship. And our wonder gets bigger because our God gets bigger. And then we walk out of the room and sometimes we pick that up. Well, just keep practicing. I don't practice this perfectly. I'm not great at this by any stretch of the imagination. But here's some of the practices that we have put into our lives and in our family. Uh, When my girls were little, man, it just seems like yesterday. Now I'm dropping them off at the airport to go to Florida and back to Chicago. It just seems like yesterday. Some of you, you little ones, I love watching you and your little ones around here. Man, it goes like that. But one of the practices, and I want to encourage you if you're a young family here today, or you're raising grandkids, get in the practice of prayer with your kids before you go to bed. Probably not in the morning because they're not ready yet. But the last thing you do, it doesn't have to be long or whatever. We, there was a practice of praying with our kids before we went to bed, sharing a scripture and listening to their prayers. Oh, it's so honest to hear the prayers of a kid. I still remember my prayers with my family growing up in, 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 in my family. It was very simple. Uh, it, was, it was about three or four years that I did this. I was a very, very slow learner. And so my prayer was the same every single night. Dear Jesus, be with mom, dad, sharing me and all my toys. I don't know how many toys I had, but they were important to me. God knows our heart start that practice. So I will say as my girls got older and they began to stay up later than we did, we kind of got out of that practice because it was like, God, we can't continue to stay up this late with them. And we're up way earlier than they are. And so they had to enter into their practices and our practices. But um, uh, Heather and I had never been really that good. You'd think a pastor and his spouse, they would have this down. They would be really good at this. We had our own times of prayer and things, but we didn't, we prayed together, but not consistently until November of 2020. And when we got, when I got COVID for the first time and man, it just put me down for the count for a while. That was a season and time out of that not being able to go anywhere, we began to have prayer and devotions together. We had no place to go, nowhere to be. And it's a practice that has continued for us. And so Heather and I are practiced. I encourage you, if you're a married couple today, I encourage you to get in the practice of starting your day with a short scripture and praying with your wife. Ours isn't long. This is, this, is, this is our formula. Heather, me, Jesus, coffee. Really, the only thing that comes up in this that's a question mark is who's going to get out of bed when it's cold and go make the coffee first? Am I going to be a good husband or am I going to let her be a good wife? One of us has to decide and go out and make the coffee. But it's coffee. And, and then our time with Jesus is very simple. It's this. I've told you about the Bible app. And it's just a simple tool. And it's, there's always a verse of the day. There's, a, there's someone who shares about that, and you can watch it. Then there's a short devotional, and then you come back. And even there's even a prayer there to pray. But I encourage you to pray. And, that, and then we have a time that we pray together. I encourage you to get in a practice of doing that t- together. Uh, my own individual time after that is just I, I don't like to get stuck on one thing. I kind of get bored. Maybe I was... I am sure I have ADD long before ADD was diagnosed. I just got two years of kindergarten out of it. So anyway, when, when, it, came, when it comes to me, to me uh, I like to switch things up. Right now, I'm in a season right now of reading one Proverbs a day. Billy Graham would do that. He read five chapters of Psalm, one chapter of Proverbs. Billy Graham's a better man than me. I, I do one chapter of Proverbs right now a day. Today's November 27th. 
It's real easy. Read Proverbs 27. Tomorrow, Proverbs 28. Now, I kind of get tired of that after a couple months, and I love through the Word. And I've told you about through the Word. It's an app that you can download. I love through the Word. It's one chapter at a time. It's simple. You, you, you listen or read that one chapter, and then you get a seven, eight-minute uh, devotional, uh, uh, you know, a commentary about that chapter. And, and it's just practice. Why is this important? Because it's practice. It's engaging in the battle. It's starting our day because our, my natural thoughts are go to stinking thinking, not good thinking. And it's a way to engage and start the day off and say, God, help me not to be inclined to go to the way I like to think, but help me to start my day thinking the way that you think. And it's hard to do it throughout the day, but it's better if you start it off with him. And then I, then I have this last thing I'll share with you is put up reminders for yourself. Maybe the reminders on the mirror in your bathroom. Maybe the reminders on your refrigerator. For me, I like to put reminders on my wrists. I was so thankful a few weeks ago to cut my mother-in-law's off when she was declared cancer-free, so I don't have that one around my wrist anymore. I praise God for that. But there's a couple that I've shared with you before that I keep here on. One that says, pray first, and the other one is, God's got this. And the reason I keep those on me is because my natural inclination is to not pray first. It's, how can I solve this first? What can I do? How can I fix this? And it's a reminder, go to God first, pray first. It's a reminder to me that, that, that God's got this when I try to fix things myself. So I'm a fixer. Most of us guys, we like to fix stuff. But it's to say God's got this. And I, the God's got this, you know it's powerful if you're new here. It was my um, daughter's roommate in college, her dad a few years ago. He was a youth pastor here for uh, many years ago, for three years, Javier who uh, early stages of the pandemic uh, died on a ventilator, but his last words before he hung up the phone in that hospital room by his, himself when he couldn't see his family, his last words to them were, God's got, God's got this. Now, you'd like to think that was a promise that he was going to live, and that's what their family thought. But that's become such a powerful testimony to their, to their family, and it's been a powerful testimony to us that no matter what, God's got this whether he answers the way that we hope that he will or whether he answers through life forever with him. Either way, God's got this. It's reminders. In, in the Old Testament, God often had the children of Israel set up stones of remembrance or rocks of remembrance to help them remember because we are naturally, we're forgetters. And we forget God's goodness. We forget God's faithfulness. We forget what God has done for us. And so he set up, had the children of Israel set up stones of remembrance. That's just really what these are. Set up for stones of remembrances. And that's why we receive communion, which we're about to receive. We do this once a month. Scripture doesn't say how often to do it. It just says this. Whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, don't forget me. Don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget the cross that I went to for you. Don't forget the, that, I, that I defeated death and I was resurrected for you. Don't forget that I did this because I love you. Whenever you do this, don't forget. It's actually, it's one of the reasons why we say grace when we pray for the dinner and our lunches and breakfasts. We do it not to bless the food because I don't know about you at Thanksgiving, but it wasn't something that it needed blessed, but God's not gonna honor just bless the calories and bless the cake, and bless the pumpkin pie, and those things. We pray and thank God to remember that he's the provider of it. 
He's the good giver of the good gifts and the things and our provision. So that's why we pray. We, we thank him. That's why we receive communion. Is it's to remember what he's done for us. And if you're watching online, I encourage you to go to the refrigerator and grab some juice or something and grab some bread. And we're going to receive this together in a moment. If you're here in this room, we have three stations, plenty of time. Um, there's one here gluten-free here in the middle. Um, not all of it's gluten-free, but there's a little bit of gluten-free here. But if you're new here, this year may be your first Sunday. You can receive communion with us. This is not exclusive. When, when you receive communion, what you're saying is, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm trusting Christ. Uh, uh, to the best of my ability, I'm asking him to be my Lord and my Savior and to follow him. And if that's not where you are yet, there's no judgment here and you don't need to feel pressure to do anything that you don't feel comfortable doing. I just want to make it very clear, you don't have to be a member of this church or attend for a certain amount of time before you can receive. It's simply a simple instruction that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and took the cup, and he said, whenever you do this, from now on, don't forget me. Remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember how much I love for you. Remember how much I love you. That's the reason we receive it. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Dustin's just going to play a song, and I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive the elements, then go back to your seat, hold on to the elements, and then I'll come back at the end, and we'll all receive them together. So there's three different stations here. I encourage you to come now.